0: Well, you are listening to Skyfire Radio from our offices in Atlanta, Georgia. I am your host, Matt Sloan. And I'm also your host, Ben Kroll. So what I wanted to do on this week's episode was play you a couple of different clips from the recent conference that we had, Public Safety Symposium uh, in Fort Collins, Colorado in June. Uh, We had very excellent speakers come in and talk to us about all kinds of stuff that people who are already operating drones don't really know about or have lots of questions about. So the first person we're going to go ahead and start with is Randall Warnes from FLIR, of course the thermal imaging camera manufacturer that we work with, Uh, a good partner of ours, and Randall actually used to work for DJI, and so he knows both sides of the fence there. He's going to talk to you about the different configurations of thermal cameras that you can choose with the uh, Matrice and Inspire series.
1: I'm going to go through the configurations real quick, just why you would choose one or or the other. Um, In some of these cases there's a huge price difference and you need to know why you're spending that extra money. Um, So resolution, real quick, pretty simple. When you're talking about a 640 resolution thermal imaging camera, it's 640 pixels horizontally and 512 pixels vertically. So you have a total of 327,000 pixels. Plus, um, Within thermal imaging, and I'll go over this real quick in a second, that you generally want a 5x5 five five pixel cluster to see something See something exists. You generally want 10x10 10 10 pixels to see it well. So when you're asking how high do I have to fly or how far away from the object do I need to be, it all matters on how, uh, what your resolution is and the lens type that you have and how big the object is that you're trying to find. You're trying to find a car. It's a lot easier than finding a, a tissue. So uh, we'll we'll get into a little bit of how you would decide what camera to use there. Um, with resolution, whether if you want to detect something, just see that something is there. And this is when I was talking about situational awareness. Resolution doesn't really matter. You can see that there's something that could be a person that is emitting a different uh, thermal uh, thermal signature. If that's good enough for you, great. But if you want to know that it's a person, you probably need higher resolution. And if you want to know that it's that person at that height that's maybe holding something, you want even more resolution. So it depends on what your application is of the thermal energy camera to determine what resolution you need. Let's um, so do that. Uh, you can barely tell, especially from where you're sitting here, but a 336 and a 640 resolution camera, for most situations, is going to look very, very similar. The, the thing I circled there is that the person is a little clearer on the 640, but this is also flying at an AGL of maybe 30 feet. And this is maybe 25 feet away, 40, uh, 30 feet away from the object. So there's not that big of a difference. But if you're flying 150 feet in the air and you're trying to locate a person on the ground that's not moving, you probably want higher resolution to make sure that you don't miss them. Uh, field of view, just a quick rundown of when you have a 9mm, you can see more around the object, but the object itself is less clear. If you want a real clear image, you get a 19mm, but you're also going to have to make many more passes up and down to locate that object. I think this explains that pretty clearly. but the view is a big deal, and I do have some calculations on how how wide you can see with a given pass flying at a certain AGL, so that you can really calculate how long it would take to scan a certain a given area. Uh, radiometry just uh, know the actual temperature. Well, I'm going to skip that, but there's a lot of factors that uh, that change the. Accuracy of the radiometric reading, and that's going to be atmospheric Uh, temperature. It's going to be the emissivity, or basically what the material is made out of. If you're looking at aluminum, it's very reflective, so you're just going to see thermal signature of the sky, or the thing that's near it, and it's going to be reflecting off of the object.
0: Next up, we have John McBride from Rocky Mountain Unmanned Systems, uh, easily one of the thermal imaging drone experts here in uh, in the United States. Uh, John is also a FLIR Level 1 uh, thermographer, has gone through their certification course. He's going to talk about some of the limitations of thermal imaging technology.
2: Some of the difficulties in thermal, yes. You cannot see through buildings. You cannot see through glass. So you can't see into a house and see if there's people inside holding weapons or guns or even if there's people inside having problems and can't escape. You can't see through glass. You can't see through glass on a car, same thing. Uh, You can't see through water. So who does a lot of like water searches? near water, like by water. This is always a very, very common question I get with the search and rescue slash firefighter guys who want to put thermal and see if they can find some guy in a pond. Very difficult. You can have his whole body transmitting 500 degrees Celsius, three inches below the water, and you won't be able to see him. So if he gets to the top and can create his own energy, we can see him, meaning that he's warming up, he's he's exposed. There's also the possibility that if we're doing a search and recovery, that if the body is actually on the water, the sun is, is hitting it, and you might be able to see that. So, but we can't penetrate into water any farther than maybe an eighth of an inch, but water can transmit on the surface. So we can see sometimes color differences on the surface of the water because whatever is transmitting the energy is then, you know, warming up the water on the surface and sometimes we can use that image to do. We want a lot of delta. Delta is the temperature difference between one item to the next item to be able to see. So again, somebody in a cold forest or whatever, and a person in a hot body, you know, walking around. Please remember that people are typically not walking around naked. They usually are going to try to cover themselves. They're going to try to put on jackets and coats if they have it, which makes it even more difficult to try and find somebody in a search and rescue standpoint. Wouldn't you agree? So sometimes thermal isn't always the best case scenario sometimes an EO camera would be much better with some of these systems you can only do one or the other at a time you know you can do it on a DJI Inspire you can put a thermal camera or you can put the other one or the other so you have to you have to practice with these things and understand them and put them in several different scenarios different times of day different places that you're looking so that you can be most effective with the
0: tool one of the questions that we get most often here at Skyfire is how to pay for your program. So we've teamed up with uh, Michael Asimore from Dynamic Protection International. He's been doing grants for decades, uh, and the guy is truly an expert. We had him speak at the conference, so he's going to kind of walk you through some of the things you need to think about as you're looking for grants to start your drone program.
3: One of the misconceptions I find is I'll talk to uh, probably a couple agencies a week where they'll tell me, I can't get any money. I've been told there's no money out there. I was told we can't get a grant. I hear that every week. And the truth of the matter is it's false. There is always money available. It's just a matter of spelling out the project and selling the project. There is private grants that are available in every state that if you can't get approval to move on a federal grant or you can't get approval to move on a state grant, that the private grants are an outstanding fit for. But you have to show on any grant an implementation program. So what is that? We purchase it day one. Then from there, we get the delivery, which might be 30 days, it might be 45, it might be 60, depending on the project. Then from there, we're gonna get trained up on the project by the vendor. Uh, Then from there, we're gonna have the media notified. Um, I get Google alerts every week about Grants. I actually will put keywords of the names of the grants and every week Google sends me a bunch of notifications about What grants have been delivered? um, And the report in the news So I have a good understanding of okay, you know uh, Our agency got X amount of dollars. We bought this type of equipment It's designed to solve these types of problems So you're going to want to get the media involved. You're going to want to notify your community Maybe it's a bulletin through your city government website. Maybe it's through your own website. But those are things that are considered implementation. Then from there, spelling it out over a 12-month period. So that way, the grantor can see, okay, not only am I going to fund a project that's got a problem, and they're quantifying the problem, they're actually showing me specifically what are they going to do with this money. Then lastly, the cost of the project, the specific dollar amount. I'm finding more and more grantors are really getting clear on what it's going to cost to solve a problem. I don't know if it's from doing different grants over the years. I don't know if it's from talking to vendors. But you can't ballpark and say, "Okay, well, I need a drone. Uh, I want to get a drone program started. I need uh, $500,000. They're going to know that a drone program is going to cost you a lot less. So you're going to want to really spell out specifically, here's the dollar amount. Here's the number of units we need. Which leads me into something else I want to make sure I cover before I forget. This marketplace is really conditioned, I find, uh, public safety um, to always look at just bare bones equipment. You know, because a lot of times you guys are told no. I mean, you're probably told no more times than even a good parent tells their kid no. And that's good, but it's not good. A lot of times what I find is I'm talking to end users and they're just telling me, you know, uh, I'd be happy if I just got $10,000 for a drone program. When you're working on a grant, you need to change that mindset. You need to think, you need to remember the days when you wrote a letter to Santa. Who's wrote a letter to Santa Claus? I know we all wrote letters to Santa Claus at one time or another. Did we ask for bare bones from Santa? Did we say, Santa, I just want the minimum stuff this year? No. You wrote a page to, my daughter wrote me a five-page list this Christmas of everything she wanted. That's the mindset you have to have. You need to ask what specifically I need to best solve the problem. And that's how you want to go into it. So if you feel, you know what, ideally, you know, I want a drone, but I really could use three. Or I could use two. You know, one one to use and one as a backup. Whatever it is, you know that better than I know that, but you have to think that way and you want to ask for exactly what you feel you're going to need to solve the problem. Because again, grant funding is all about solving problems. And here's the thing, you might get exactly what you want. You might get all the money you needed for the program. You might get half of the money because it's a very competitive grant. Well, if you get half the money and you ask for two units, what'd you end up getting? You at least got one. As opposed to asking for one unit and getting half the money, because then what are you going to do with that money? You've got to figure out I've got to get the other half of the money somewhere. So always think when it comes to a grant, ask for what you need to solve the problem.
2: Here's the last section, and I find a lot of people in my, my side of the industry don't talk about this.